jump right into the scriptures. We see in John 12, 49, this is Jesus himself speaking. He says, I don't speak on my own authority. The father who has sent me has commanded me to what to say and how to say it. That's a big deal. So this is Jesus speaking. Want to read it again. Make sure we don't miss it. John 12, 49. I don't speak on my own authority, Jesus says. I'm, I'm not just roaming around earth saying whatever I want to say, whenever I want to say it, however I want to say it. I am in direct submission. I am in living in perfect obedience to the Father down to the details of every statement that might come out of my mouth is his will for, and instruction for what I am to say. Colossians 2.9 tells us this, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. We think Jesus is the nice one and God the Father's up in heaven with a big beard and a big mallet ready to just whack everybody. And could it be that the characteristics of the Father are most clearly seen and demonstrated in the life of Jesus? That maybe he is in fact a good dad, that he's not angry, but that he has a great love for humanity and for all creation. So, uh, as we read these verses, we come to the obvious conclusion, which we already knew. I almost feel silly saying it, but what Jesus has to say, considering who he is and how everything that he says is his submission, his obedience to the Father, uh, Jesus' words hold immense weight. Did you know that? Thanks, Pastor. That's the deepest thing we've ever heard. Jesus' words hold weight. And so this summer, we wanted to primarily preach passages where Jesus vocalizes something, where Jesus speaks to something during his earthly ministry. We want to look specifically at the words of Jesus, understanding he wasn't speaking on his own authority, but in perfect submission to what the Father commanded. And so we want to thoroughly observe the words of Jesus and consider seriously, how do I steward and heed the words of Jesus for myself? And so we started a series, like Pastor Chad said, this series has been titled, What If Jesus Was Serious? If I had to title this morning's talk uh, that we're about to have, I would, I would title it this, what if Jesus was serious about the table? What if Jesus was serious about the table? We know that this has been one of our themes for the year. The table, the table, we've put this emphasis on discipleship about uh, uh, bringing Christ back to the center of our homes. As you know, the table, it's not necessarily just the physical table, but it's what the table represents. It represents Christ-centered community. It represents conversations. It represents discipleship. It represents us leading our families well and uh, honoring him, uh, holding him as our prize. He is the center of our, ta- he is the center of our lives. And so today I want to look at Jesus spending time at the table. Let's go to Luke 5, starting in verse 27. I'll read this passage, I'll pray, and then I'll preach. Does that sound all right? Luke 5, here we go. It says this, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So? Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat with such 
uh, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. So grateful for the opportunity to communicate your word. And I pray for an anointing that allows for preaching to be powerful and effective. And I pray for a tilling of the soil in each heart in this room, that as we receive the seed of your truth, it would take root in our heart and it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't wanna just hear your word. We don't wanna just talk about your word. Your word says, if we just hear it, but don't do it, we're deceiving ourselves. We don't wanna be deceived. Uh, We wanna grow in wisdom. We wanna be conformed into the image of Christ. So use your word to do that. Teach us about you. Teach us about your character and shape and mold us in your holy and mighty name. We all said, amen. Went back and forth on what uh, uh, story I wanted to open up with. So I'm going to tell you two that really highlight my own integrity and um, immense character that I've, that I have. I've told this story once when I first got here. So it's been like four years. So hopefully everybody forgets it. But uh, me and my little sister are really, really close. And so I remember, I think I was maybe a sophomore in, or, or junior in high school. She was a freshman and she had made some money. And so she, remember when iPod Touches first came out? This is when iPod Touches first came out. So these things were uh, a hot commodity. And so she went, she spent her money. She went to Best Buy to buy herself an iPod Touch, excuse me. And she comes back and she's gotten two. She got her big brother one and surprised me with it. I'm like, what? This is unbelievable. Like we about to be jamming on the bus. You know what I'm saying? This is, we're about to play games and listen to music. It's going to be crazy. And so she brings the, these iPod touches home. And I remember it, this, our house was so small growing up in high school that me and my sister had to share a room all through middle school and, and all through high school until my sister moved out for college. And so both of these iPod touches are in our room and I'm just looking at mine just in absolute awe that like, wow, I'm one of the kids who has an iPod touch. This is crazy. Drop it on the ground. I'm like, oh, pick this thing up. And I can see when the light hits it just right, that there's a little hairline fracture in the glass, little crack, literally haven't even had this thing an hour. And so I do old switcheroo and give her the broken one. (laughs) True story. I didn't tell her that till about 10 years later. There's another time I was in high school. I played quarterback in high school. And so it was our first game of the year. Um, and it was really muddy and really rainy. I just got brand new cleats, loved the way they looked. And uh, I just didn't want to get them all muddy and wet and stinky. And so there was this kid, Jordan, who also had a brand new pair of cleats that looked real good. And we happened to be the same size cleat. And uh, he also happened to be in trouble and wasn't able to play that play that game. And so he had made some bad decisions. And so I justified using his new cleats without telling him um, and played our first game in the rain and in the mud. Uh, Ended up scoring a touchdown in overtime to win the game in those cleats. So, but he wasn't very happy about it. He wasn't. Come on, some of us, we might know what it feels like to be betrayed by the ones we love, by the ones who are supposed to be on our team. Maybe you know what it's like to be betrayed. And the Jews of the day, they knew what it was like to be betrayed specifically because of these tax collectors, these tax collectors. 
little cultural context, uh, Rome is oppressing the Jews and so they're taxing them. And so, uh, but they give Jews the opportunity to bid to be a tax collector. And so they give them a minimum amount that they need to that they need to collect and they need to bring in and then they can report to the Roman anything they collect extra from, from what they've been assigned to collect, they get to pocket for themselves. Now, when you're being oppressed, it's like, man, I'm sick of being in the hood. I'm trying to get a Camaro. You know what I mean? I, I, need, I need some cash. And so they're, they're, they're pocketing this. And, and so I, I actually read this while I was studying, found this from Enduring Word. It says, when Jews entered the tax collecting business, they were regarded as an outcast from society, from their Jewish society. Y'all with me? Is this making sense? He, so, so whoever this person was, he was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session, was excommunicated from the synagogue. So they're not happy with the Jews who sell their soul to be a tax collector, okay? And he says, and in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his family. So not only, this, this is how big of a deal it was. If you were a tax collector, uh, you know, it, it, was like, it was like you were going against your old team. It was like you were stealing your teammates cleats. It was like you broke your teammates iPod and switched them and didn't tell anybody. You were a betrayer, extortionist. You're hated. Your community wants to turn their back. How, how could you, man? How could you take part in the other side? We're all in this and you just want to profit off, profit off us. And, and this is who tax collectors are. And I love, uh, I love as we observe Jesus, Jesus looks at that man and says, hey, follow me. Changes the story a little bit when you understand who the tax collector is. Jesus looks at Levi, the tax collector and says, hey, Come be my disciple. And this is Levi, extortionist, betrayer, outcast. But this is what makes me laugh. As the church, we fail to recognize that every time we gossip about our brother or our sister in Christ, we're Levi. Every time we don't keep our commitment, we're Levi. Every time we're passive aggressive with our neighbor, I'm coming for everybody. We're Levi. The reality of this Christian walk is I'm going to offend you and you're going to offend me. And further than that, we're going to have moments of rebellion against God just about every day, if not multiple times a day. We're Levi. We look at Levi with disgust, like how, how could you do that? How could you be so, so, so uh, inconsiderate? How, how could you be so cowardly? Why would you do something like that? Failing to recognize that when we get into the nitty gritty of it, we're in need of the same grace that Levi was, amen? I think who we unknowingly, keyword unknowingly, identify with more often in this story is the group of Pharisees they've concluded that they're better than other people and only certain people are qualified for a seat next to Jesus. And so I think about the church and I wonder, church, how have we treated our homosexual neighbor? How, how, how well have you loved the wayward youth? How well have you loved the recent divorcee? How well have you loved the parent that didn't do a great job loving you? I just wonder. Because I look at Jesus and he hates those people, and he rejects those people, and he doesn't tell those people to come follow him. 
No, he absolutely does. I think it's so easy for us to get into this Christian club knowing it's only because of Jesus. We know the only reason we were able to fit in is because of what Jesus did in the human heart. Not because of my effort, not because of what I mustered up. It's because of what he did in me. We know the only reason we get into the Christian club is because of his work, not mine, but then we wear that glory like we mustered it up and it belongs to us. And we huff and we puff and reject those who offend our Christian morals and values and beliefs. And that is not Christ's heart for the world he created. I think the great commandment and the great commission are far more messy than we've made it out to be. I think it's messy. I think it's messy. But as I observe Jesus and the way that he pursued the world, I don't see him making posts shouting at the other side. I see a man who's humble enough, courageous enough, to pursue the offender, to pursue the betrayer and say, hey, I want you to walk with me and I want to walk with you. And who, who's our rabbi? Who's our teacher? Who's demonstrating what this walk is supposed to look like? Not our racist grandfather, right? Not, not, not even necessarily it, it, our mom and dad and what they taught us and what it was specifically. Now, now they can disciple us and there's a calling on their lives to pour into the next. But above all, our greatest demonstration, our greatest rabbi, our greatest teacher is found in the person of Jesus. And so we have to look at how did he walk? How did he talk? How did he love? And that's what determines our actions. That's what determines how we live. And that's what Holy Spirit is going to conform us into the image of Jesus, him. You know what I think is wild about Jesus calling Levi out of the tax collector booth? Is Levi had no fruit before he received an invitation from Jesus. He had no fruit before he received an invitation. And so even though all of us in the room at one point, or maybe even right now, even though you're in your sin, even though you're in your tax collector booth, Jesus's invitation has been extended to you. Notice then Levi, Levi gets an invitation from Jesus, but then Levi extends an invitation to Jesus himself. And so the question is not, has Jesus invited us? The question is, have you responded to his invitation? And in turn, have you invited Jesus to be the guest of honor at your table? In this passage, Levi is inviting Jesus to a legitimate dinner table. Come eat with me. Come sit with me. Come Jesus, will, will, you come, will you come to my house? Will you come have dinner with me and all my other friends who are outcasts and rejects and sinners? Come on. And we point at them and say, how could you? Look at them. And we fail to recognize that's us. Yeah, that's us. 
Now, Levi invited him to a legitimate, literal table, but I think there's a greater message being communicated here that we are to invite Jesus to be the guest of honor at the table of our lives. What I've found is many of us are too insecure about our own sin to let Jesus sit that close. Many of us are too insecure about our own sin to let Jesus sit that close. Let's look at the text, Luke 5, 29. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Why are you with them? They're dirty, they're sinful, they're betrayers. Their lives don't, don't, don't uh, hold up. They're, not, they're far from perfect, they're dirty, they're unworthy. Why would you sit with them? Just this week, I sat with a guy in his mid-20s, tears in his eyes, he sat on my couch, shared he doesn't have confidence, feels disappointed in who he is, wants to do better, but doesn't feel like he can. He struggles to feel worthy, especially in dating relationship, and he's crippled by insecurities. And I think sometimes this is how we can approach Jesus. Hey, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm working really hard. I, I'm gonna get my act together, and once I do, me and you are gonna be really close. I, I know you got really big plans for my life, so just wait, don't leave, just wait, I'm gonna get real clean. I'm going to look good. And then we can do what you have planned for me. And we're all out here trying to be good, failing to recognize goodness is found in him. Over here, trying to get our fruit over here, trying to get our goodness. And Jesus is looking at you like, bro, you're going to be over there forever. In reference to last week, John 15, five, it's too good not to share again. Yes, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If I had a dollar for every single person who's trying to produce fruit and get better before they get close to Jesus, it's like, when are we going to figure it out? We are not the source. We are not good. We are in utter, uh, utter reliance and dependence upon him for anything good to come out of our lives. And apart from him, no good fruit will be produced. Yet we recognize our lack of fruit. We're good at that. We recognize our lack of fruit and think, Jesus doesn't want this barren branch. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with this. But the reason we're barren is because we're not seated at the table with the one who gives us power to produce. And so we're too insecure about our own sin to let him sit that close. When he's saying, hey, let me come sit. I'll come sit. I'll come sit. I'll change everything. When are we going to learn to stop trying to squeeze out fruit in hopes that only then Jesus will be interested in a relationship with us? My, my concern is if we wait to get it right before we allow ourselves to experience intimacy with Jesus, we may never offer Jesus the invitation to be our guest of honor. 
And here's what I know. If we'll invite Jesus to be the guest of honor, here's what I know, dads. Dads, you listening to me? Dads, if you're in the room, say yeah. yeah. He'll turn your homes into hospitals. Because I know you love your kids and I know you love your wife, but they're broke too. And you can't fix them. But if you'll have the one to be the guest of honor in your homes, he says, I didn't come for the well. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And so if you'll have him as the guest of honor, he'll turn your home into a hospital. Amen. I want to talk to the dads in, a room, in, in the room for a minute. Love y'all. Relating with y'all more and more each year as I'm in this jungle myself. So it's real out here. It's real. How much spiritual fruit you got? I'm finding out not much. Uh-oh. So grateful for the dads who love their kids well. So grateful. I have so many friends in this church, and you're all great dads, and you love your wives, and you love your kids. Grateful to have you as, as iron in my life, to have conversations. And so I, I just want to take a moment to preach to y'all. Mom, that all right? Okay. So my guys who are fathers in the room, this title father is sacred. It's sacred. It's a great calling. And there's a calling on our lives to shepherd our homes, to be the priests of our homes, to love our wives mightily, to discipline our children properly, to provide and to protect. And the church needs fathers that are righteous. I was reading Proverbs and it said the righteous are more bold than lions. We need righteous men who are bold, spirit-filled, confrontational, wise, kind, compassionate, and self-controlled. Our wives expect and desire strong leadership. Our kids crave love, safety, and trust. The Lord desires to assign and appoint and equip you to be the priest of your home. And if you're anything like like me, you think about all these expectations and all these requirements and responsibilities and they can feel overwhelming and I can very easily feel like I'm falling short and I can worry that even my best effort isn't going to be enough for my family, that every effort I might be able to muster up, even though it's mighty, is not going to measure up and I'm going to fall short and ruin it. Or am I the only one? What am I doing? How do I do this? I don't, I, was I too hard? Was it too light? Did I, am I going to make enough money? Am I, gonna, uh, am I loving you enough? Am I giving them all equal attention? It can be overwhelming. And as I sit at the table and as I look at my girls and hopefully a son, Jesus, sooner than later. Come on. As all of us do, there's an important decision we got to make for our families, dads. Am I just going to hope to be enough? Am I just going to hope to be enough? Or am I going to have the one be the guest of honor who I know is? Will I invite the guest of honor to our table? Because Levi's table is full of sinners. And his table isn't the only one 
who needs Jesus as the guest of honor. Worship team, you can come. So real question for us dads. Who is the guest of honor at our table right now? Who is the guest of honor at our table right now? What's the emphasis in your home? Good behavior? Y'all better act right. Stop doing that. Why are you always doing that? Come on, you know, you know how we got to be. You, you know how we got to live. Is it, is it good behavior? And that's the emphasis and that's what we talk about and that's what we're, we're continually preaching to our kids and that's how we're trying to uh, shepherd them and mold them and then we don't even demonstrate it ourselves because we're broke too. Is it achievement? Come on, you gotta work harder. You gotta, you gotta be better. Come on, you, you're, you're not practicing any. You think you're gonna be good? You think you're gonna be any good if you don't practice any? If you don't, come on, I saw you. I saw you. You need to run. You need to stop jogging. You need to run. Is it achievement? What's the guest of honor? What's the guest of honor? Is it stress? Is it hard work? Come on, you gotta get out there. Life ain't easy. Life ain't easy. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, we got to get out there. And I'm not saying even all these things are bad. We got to, come on, we want to be iron for our kids. We want to lead our kids. We want to decide, we, we want to pray. We want to we wanna shape and mold their character. We, we want to hold the fire over their lives so they can be refined. We want to invest into them. We want to pour into them. We want to love them well, you know. But more than anything, the emphasis, the thing that we talk about most, the thing that we can never get away from is, is, is who the guest of honor in our home is. Man, I love, I love the way Jesus made you. Do you know that you were made for Jesus? Do you, do you know that he's the whole reason you exist? Come on, you know why we're kind? You know why we can love the bully? Because Jesus loved people when they slap him. Yeah, yeah, you know, I know it's hard. I know you feel rejected, but Jesus knows how that feels. Dad, would you stop talking about Jesus? Absolutely not. I'll never stop talking about Jesus because he applied, because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You know why, you know why daddy serves mommy when he doesn't feel like it? Because Jesus, the best leader there ever was, he washed his, his disciples' feet. That's why we talk about Jesus. Who's the guest of honor in our homes? The gospel is that we're broken sinful and messed up. But there is a God who in his great love demonstrated his love for us by clothing himself in flesh, living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death, taking on the wrath of God and the sin of the world for you and for I, but resurrected from the grave and said, I defeated death, hell, and the grave. The victory though doesn't just belong to me. I want you to take part. It's yours too if you will receive it in faith. And if we'll place faith in him, and if we'll come into relationship with him, he'll forgive your sin, he'll restore us, he'll guide us, he'll provide for us, he'll give us wisdom, he'll teach us how to love, he'll teach us how to lead, he'll provide the power needed to produce fruit in your lives. And I'm looking at a room full of men who wanna be good dads. And without him, you will struggle. Fatherhood requires fruit. 
But if you're gonna be a father that produces fruit, it's about abiding in Jesus, remaining in him, and inviting him to daily be the guest of honor in your home. Come on, I know I did it last week, but we gotta keep having this conversation. You get out of bed, back hurts. Oh, Lord, my back. And then your kid's up early. Lord, why did you let that happen? It just... Just, just, Lord, I want to, I want to demonstrate you today. You're so good. Thank you for another day. Thank you. Thank you for my family. Just just help me. I want to, I want to serve well. I want to, I want to look like you, God. I'm so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And then we, and then we pull out his word and we sit at our counter. And so our kids can creep out of bed and they come out into the kitchen and dang right, you're going to see dad reading his Bible because that's what good dads do. Amen. And so, yeah, you can sit on my lap. No, you can't write on my Bible. Stop it. No, no. I'll spank you right here in Jesus name. Amen. It's just, it's just, It's about abiding in Jesus, remaining in him, inviting him to be the guest of honor every day of your life. And it's funny because many of us are too insecure about our sin to let Jesus sit that close. But the reality is this, recognizing our rebellion and brokenness is actually a prerequisite to our repentance. So the fact that you recognize your brokenness and inability to produce fruit, amen, baby, that's the starting place. You better. I would be worried if you think, man, I'm producing all this fruit. I'm straight. I got it. No, no, no. That, I, and, and that's where Jesus, that, that's where God, he's a God who works all things together for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around and use it for good. So, so we feel that insecurity. We feel that great weight. I'm not going to be enough. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm not, I got to go. I didn't, I didn't sleep good. I just, uh, quiet. I just, uh, and we're, we feel this way. Am I going to be enough? Am I going to provide enough? Am I loving enough? Am I doing enough? Am I serving enough? Did I, did I, did I, am I going to be able to provide? Am I going to be able to? It's like, hey, all that. Feel it. Your, your brokenness, your, your inability to be, to, 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 to be the Savior is, man, that's, how God, the enemy will use that to separate, but there's actually the power of God that exists in that, where we can be made strong in our weakness because our weakness points us back to his power. And so, hey, Jesus, I don't have this all figured out, man, and I need help, and I need your fruit because you got to change my heart, and you got to renew my mind, and I got all this sin. That there, there's This sin's had a little grip on me, and I can feel some of the power in it, but I know you overcame it. I, I know in your name there's freedom, and so recognizing our brokenness is a prerequisite to our repentance. Repentance in the Bible involves a complete change, an irreversible change of mind, heart, and actions. Repentance recognizes that our sin is offensive to God, that our shortcoming is offensive to God. I love, uh, uh, Jesus said, I've come to call, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That's who he's looking for. Uh, uh, struggling 
not just the dad thing, moms in the room, kids in the room, teens in the room, singles, kids. We're all, I just want to be good enough. You're not. But guess what? That's what points us to the cross. God wants to use all that, all that brokenness, all that insecurity, all that feeling of not being enough can be one of the most powerful pieces of our walk because Jesus says, I want to use all that. I want to, yeah, yeah, bring all that to me. Come follow me and be my disciple because I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You don't feel good enough? Great, let's get started great starting place. Paul wrote it like this, for godly sorrow that is, that is in accord with the will of God produces repentance without regret leading to salvation, but worldly sorrow, the hopeless sorrow of those who do not believe produces death. God wants to use the parts of our lives that grieve us the most and turn them into something beautiful. So we just need to learn to carry all that brokenness over to him and let him do something beautiful with it because he's the only one who can. Who's the guest of honor in your homes? God takes what the enemy meant for evil, uses it for good. So I'll close with this. Let's be intentional to invite Jesus to be the guest of honor at the table of our lives. Amen? Amen.